The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. Appreciate those thoughts on the Spirit, and I think the Spirit inspired Scripture in such a way to give that language so we can understand something that's very unknowable, really. I mean, we, we can't fully grasp the, all the aspects of the Trinity, and as has been stated, it's very difficult for us to grasp the different aspects of something so mysterious as the Spirit. It actually even says in Romans chapter 11, at the concluding parts of that chapter, who hath known the mind of the Lord? Well, I think we can also say, who hath known the mind of the Spirit, right? And it's difficult to discern the Spirit. It's very difficult to discern the Spirit. We talked about that on Wednesday nights not that long ago, about following your heart. Well, God guides His people and His children by the Spirit in their heart, okay? But I have noticed multiple times, I can think of about three or four, where I really thought in the moment that I was being burdened to do something or that something would happen. I was convinced because of what I thought was a burden that the Lord was guiding me to do this or that this was going to happen. Well, circumstances played out to where that wasn't the case. And that's always been very humbling to me to be reminded that, you know what, I can be wrong. I I mean, if the Apostle Paul can be wrong twice in Acts chapter 16, right? (laughs) Someone that's so in tune with the Holy Spirit like Paul, he was wrong twice about where to go. But I always like to give the follow-up there to Acts chapter 16, though. This is how the Spirit moves, who hath known the mind of the Spirit. It wasn't the Lord's will for the gospel to be preached in Bithynia and Asia at that time, At that time, God's will and God's timing is always perfect. There came a later time where churches were established in both of those places. It was just the Lord's will for Paul's ministry to be focused at that exact moment and at that exact time in Macedonia and particularly Philippi where he ends up going later on in that chapter. And one of the reasons why, of course, there's a lot of people that were brought to the Lord in by way of knowledge of the gospel there in Acts chapter 16. But one of them is that Philippian jailer, right? Isn't it great to know that the Lord directs it by his spirit to to send his preachers even to one struggling child of God, like Philip going to the middle of the desert to preach to the eunuch? Uh, so the the spirit moved in such a way, and it's not that he was saying, I don't want those children of God in Asia and Bethany to know about the gospel. He He just said, I've got another work for you right now. And then later on, the Spirit moved for a door to be opened in those areas as well. But the Spirit speaks to us, right? That's what we saw from Acts chapter 10. The Spirit speaks. The Spirit can be tempted. Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. But another thing that the Spirit can do is we can quench the Spirit. You know, that, that's interesting, isn't it? Because God's sovereign. God's fully sovereign in this world, and there's a sense in which 
we have no ability to overrule the sovereign will of God. And you certainly can't do that in an eternal sense, right? No one has the ability for Jesus to say, hey, I really want to born you again. Hey, I really want to save you. And just say, no, I'm going to pass. I'm not interested in accepting your invitation to be regenerated. You know, No, he sovereignly borns people again, right? But after that happens, after that happens, God does not sovereignly overpower you in every action of your life, right? He doesn't do that. He guides by his spirit. And what we want to focus on today is a continuation of the verses from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. We've looked at the revival in Josiah's day and the repentance that he exhibited, that the healing of the land was healed by the spirit moving in Josiah's heart. And then that spirit compelling him to action to change individual problems in his life. And the land was healed by the spirit moving him to make changes. Okay, And what we want to talk about today, I certainly hope that the spirit will just guide and direct you. Because um, what happens many times in worship, at least for me, is sometimes when I'm just in the presence of the Holy Spirit, sometimes I can be convicted about something or something can be brought to my mind that is not even directly related to the topic that the preacher is speaking on. But when you're in the presence of the Spirit, when you're in the presence of the Spirit, then you can be shown things that other times you may not have clarity on. And... We're going to talk about idolatry today. We're going to talk about idolatry. And most, many of us would say, well, that, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not a Buddhist. You know, I don't, I don't have some, some graven image um, on my mantle that I bow down and worship three times a day. And I know none of you do. But that's why we have to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit is because I may give some examples today. But, I mean, I don't know what... The uh, if Jesus Christ, just like with the rich young ruler, when he had a, a discussion with him about what his problem was, and he said, look, I don't have any problems. I, I'm, I'm righteous. I, I've obeyed the whole law. It, it says in uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 that covetousness is idolatry. Okay? Covetousness is idolatry. And that rich young ruler was very surprised to learn that he was idolatrous. <laughs> Why was he idolatrous? Because he coveted what he had. So uh, I don't know if you had a conversation with the Lord or if I had a conversation with the Lord. I don't necessarily know what the Lord might say to you, like he said with the rich young ruler, of one thing thou lackest. You know, he was living a good, good moral life, right? I mean, he was, he was not going out and committing adultery and stealing from people, uh, but he forgot about that one little law, the tenth commandment. You know, I'm, I'm knocking out the nine, uh, but the tenth commandment is covetousness. And the word of God says covetousness equals idolatry. That rich young ruler was very surprised to learn that he was idolatrous. 
You want to know what's sad, though? We can quench the Spirit. Because you want to know what he did? He wasn't willing to give up his idol. He wasn't willing to give up his idol in that moment. He went away sorrowful. So I'll say all that to say that I don't know, I don't know if the, if the Spirit and the Lord talk to you individually, I don't know what he would say of one thing thou lackest. And, you know, who knows? With me, it may be more than one. We, we may have a long list of, of uh, boxes we've got to check. It may be a lot, lot, about more than one. Uh, but I don't necessarily know what those things are. But one thing about having a confidence in the Holy Spirit is that the Lord can show you what you need to do, even if I don't verbally mention it. You know, I mean, I, I, I can't list off everything that uh, is a possibility of, of um, any type of shortcoming or struggle or even secret idolatry or something like that that somebody might have. But just sitting in the presence of preaching and sitting in the presence of the Holy Spirit is putting you in a very good position for the Spirit to give you that clarity. Which, by the way, that's why it's so important for us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, right? We need to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, show me, show me what I can do better. So I want to go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, read these verses one more time, highlight a few things that we did not really have time to clarify from Josiah last time, and then move on to a few other things. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, <clears throat> in verse 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal, <clears throat> and will heal their land. So if we see a need for healing... How does healing happen? How does healing happen? We see from the New Testament church, the, the Spirit moved in a powerful way among the people to build his church. But you want to know how the church was built? It wasn't built by Jesus Christ coming and doing it individually. It was the Spirit of God moving people to action. You see? It was built by God moving and enabling his children to carry out his will. So therefore, if our land is going to be healed, we can't say, Lord, you do all the healing. No, what happens is that the Spirit convicts us the same way it convicted Josiah, right? For us to make appropriate changes and revival and growth and healing of the land is God's response this is the if-then formula. God is faithful to his word, and he's faithful to these if-then statements, just like he is the covenant of redemption. If you do this, then I will do this. God promised that. So revival and growth is God's response to our actions. But the opposite is true as well. I want to highlight a few things from the revival of Josiah that is indicative of not just in his day, but if you look at the first great awakening, the second great awakening, it doesn't matter what period of religious revival that you examine in history, they will all have these characteristics. And it all starts with the word of God. It all starts with the word of God. And I will say the opposite is true. Most drought, 
most problems in the kingdom grow from a neglect or an ignorance of the word of God. And see, that's what happened with Josiah, right? There's been, there was a whole generation where Manasseh just did nothing but wickedness and the people didn't know anything about the word of God because it was hidden in the temple. Well, they found it, right? They found it. And then they said, oh, that's what we need to be doing. And then they, they followed the convictions of the Holy Spirit and guess what they did? They got to work, right? They made the appropriate changes. So a recommitment to the authority of God's word as our only rule of faith and practice. That is one of the hallmarks of the original Baptist church that what we do, what we believe is based solely on the Bible and the scriptures as our only rule of faith and practice. A personal repentance over personal sins, but also repenting of the collective sins. We saw that from Daniel, right? Daniel chapter 9. He used we a lot. He was the most, one of the most godly men in all of Scripture, but he used we a lot. Why? Because for better or for worse, we're all in this together. It's one of the privileges of being a member of the body of Christ <laughs> is we're in this together. So personal repentance and then three characteristics, particularly of personal repentance, that his heart was tendered, he humbled himself, and then he prayed and then made appropriate changes. He also had a desire to share the work. When he saw his shortcomings, he saw the need, saw, excuse me, he saw the need to share the word of God with others. He saw the need to evangelize. He made a personal commitment that you hold me accountable and I'm going to hold you accountable. He took his position of leadership to hold the entire nation accountable. And then he made personal changes within the realm of influence that he had. He happened to be the king, so he had influence over the whole nation. Okay, But you can make personal changes within your realm of influence as a father to your children, as a mother to your children, as a, as a supervisor in the workplace. Within your realm of influence, you make personal changes to affect other people, not just yourself. You know, because that's when it goes from one person correcting their course to now all of a sudden when it starts spreading. You know what that's called? That's called revival, right? When multiple people start doing it together. And it's good for one person to become more devoted, but revival is when many people are doing it together and that fire begins to spread. A recommitment to worship, a, a renewal in fervency of worship because they had not had a appropriate Passover for generations. And then Josiah made the commitment too that I'm going to give of my own I'm going to give of my own wealth to give people what they need so they can perform the Passover. So he was willing to show leadership by giving by sacrificing himself for the benefit of other people, okay? And as a greater commitment to the Word of God grows, then obviously a greater fervency of worship should grow right along with it, right? Because those are intricately connected. Okay, now let's go to the New Testament. <clears throat> let's go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And... Uh, uh, 
had requested the last few weeks for you to be reading an article I wrote about three years ago, Revival's Call to Radical Repentance. Radical Repentance. And what I want us to understand is that we should look so distinctly different from the world. When we are making a change in our life, the carnal Christians or the lukewarm Christians, they should look at that and say, that's a little extreme, okay? That's a little bit too much. You need to kind of calm down a little bit. That's a, that's a, that's a little too committed, you know? That's giving up a little bit too much. That should, that's how people should respond to the way that we live. Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, this was a special environment here in Ephesus, that an effectual and an open door is open unto me, and I'm going to stay here and press through that door. There's a lot that's happening um, here in Acts chapter 19, and... Paul is preaching publicly. He's preaching from house to house. And I just want you to understand the amazing impact that the original church had. And it's just so sad that we have dropped the ball in evangelism, okay? Nobody knows who we are. Nobody knows who Corona Baptist are. We claim to be the original church, but nobody knows who we are. I want you to notice the kind of impact that one man made in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19. He preached in the school of Tyrannus. Acts chapter 19 and verse 10. This continued by the space in just two years. Just two years. Nobody knew anything about Jesus before he showed up. And in two years, the Holy Spirit says that all they which dwell in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. They heard something about the buzz. He was the buzz of the community everywhere he went because he was bringing something so radically different. And nobody knows who Primitive Baptists are. But yet the Apostle Paul, through his ministry, everybody in Asia heard about Christ and this weird guy named the Apostle Paul, okay? Then he cast out some, some evil spirits and, and that really makes, the, the again, the buzz in the community uh, he, he was all the water cooler talk in Ephesus, okay? But they knew what was happening. And I want you to notice this. Acts chapter 19 and verse 18. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And many of them which used curious arts. So we're talking about people in witchcraft. You know, we're not talking about uh, somebody that's a, that's a good, moral, godly Southern Baptist joining the Permanent Baptist Church. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people leaving witchcraft, okay? Leaving witchcraft to join the Lord's Church. And you want to know what's so sad about Permanent Baptist? We'd say, oh, no, no, no. We don't want you joining the church. Uh, you used to be involved in witchcraft. Now, now listen, there's a place for you showing for, uh, for fruits meet for repentance. But there's a whole bunch of Permanent Baptist Church that would turn you out. <laughs> We can't have people like that in our churches. But I, wanted, I want you to notice how committed these people were. And this is radical. I mean, me being the, pragma, the pragmatic person, that uh, they're going to burn books worth 50,000 pieces of silver. Me being the pragmatist, it's like, you know what? You can keep the books, you know? 
sell them, you know, have a big yard sale, give the 50,000 pieces of silver to the church. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that, that makes sense to me, you know. I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to go burn these books, you know. But I want you to understand, the Spirit of God was moving so strongly in these people. They were so repulsed by that book of witchcraft that they said, I got to get rid of it. I got to burn it. The Spirit of God said, there is no middle ground. You have to burn these books. And normal people would look at that and be like, they were worth how much? <laughs> I mean, 50,000 pieces of silver, you know, sell them books and, you know, feed the poor or something. But they were so moved by the Spirit that they did something that even good, normal Christians would have been like, that is radical. I mean, calm down, you know. Just, you don't have to have a bonfire tonight, you know. Uh, it's okay <laughs> for you to keep your books for a day or two. But they were so moved that they burned books worth 50,000 pieces of silver. Then, the rest of the chapter, the, this revival, well, the establishment, really, revival, you have to be established before you can have revival, but this is the establishment of the church at Ephesus. The, Paul's open door here was so powerful that the graven image industry, which was led by Demetrius, a silversmith, who's kind of the head of the trade union, I want you to understand, the Temple of Diana, the, these graven image, idolatry, temples of false worship, the Apostle Paul made, and, and through the, not, not the Apostle Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? It's the Lord that did this. But how did he do it? Through Paul. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, not just, this is Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 25, these men have got rich off of selling graven images. They've got rich off of it. And you want to really start stirring people up, you start putting the idolatry business bankrupt, and you're going to get a lot of people mad, okay? And Demetrius, speaking for them, said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have gained our wealth. We're, we're rich because of pagan idolatry. I want you to notice the kind of impact that the power of the Spirit of God and the power of the gospel made. Wherein, or <clears throat> excuse me, verse 26, moreover, ye see and hear that not alone in Ephesus, we're not just talking about here in one city, not alone in Ephesus, but in almost all throughout Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people saying that they be no gods which are made with men's hands. By the power of the preaching of the gospel, you got to understand, everyone in these communities, even if they weren't even really concerned about Temple of Diana, you had to acknowledge this graven idolatry just to be able to participate in transact financial transactions in the community. I mean, it was just a way of life, okay? And there were so many people that were forsaking the temple of Diana, 
And um, I think it says a little bit later that essentially they're vacant. The, the temple is, uh, there's, they're totally vacant. There's nobody in there. But furthermore, the entire graven image industry was going bankrupt because so many people were repenting of their idolatry. Do you understand how, how big of a deal this is? <laughs> okay? This is what the power of the Holy Spirit looks like. Okay? And I, and I mentioned this in that, in that article um, of Revival's Call to Radical Repentance. I mean, in America, we, we want to give the pretense that we're not idolatrous. But we are. Think about the Temple of Diana back then. What, what are the Temple of Dianas today? <laughs> Who is it that is the most popular sport in America? The NFL? What day do they happen to, to worship on? Sunday. How many elect born-again children of God you think go to... Uh, I mean, you, you count... NFL games, you count NBA games, NASCAR is always on Sunday, the last day of PGA golf. How many born-again children of God do you think spend most of their time on Sundays going to, going to sporting events? What, would you, what do you think would happen if every single child of God that did that currently, if they felt so convicted to go to church, I, you know what? I think some of those NFL teams would have been, they would be changing their, their budget if all of a sudden those stadiums are half empty. Okay? And in America, it's, it's amazing as I've meditated on this, how ingrained all of this has got in our head that we don't even realize it. I mean, you realize, right, that the most popular music show music competition for like 20 years in America was called American Idol. American Idol. And and I mean we would never have a little graven image, but how many people and I was I mean I was a kid too. I did this too. I mean how many people they win American Idol and then they are a poster on a wall of these kids and I want to grow up to be like this person. Those people do not need to be your role models. <laughs> your parents need to be your role model. Your godly granddad needs to be your role model. And even, even me. I mean, I really enjoyed basketball back in the day. Want to be the next Larry Bird. Didn't work out. But, you know, uh, people put uh, a, a poster of their, ath of their most famous, of their, mo their favorite athlete on their wall. That's who I want to aspire to be. That's idolatry. That's a, and it's so ingrained in our culture, we don't even get it. We don't even get it. I mean, think about, we, we can't, I'm thankful for, we got a good crowd today for us. You know, but like you have 20, 25 people at a church and you have 60,000 people at sporting events. You have 60,000 people at, at music concerts. Okay, well now let's get a little bit more specific, okay? One of the biggest problems that we have as idols is our children, our spouse. You know, I know people that have, uh, instead of 
having their kids or their family as their screensaver at work or on their lock screen on their phone, they had a picture of a bass boat that all they ever talked about was saving up for this bass boat. And I'm, I'm not doing this. Save up for this bass boat. They just dreamed about this bass boat. I have a hard time. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if I've ever heard you talk as much about your kids as you did about this bass boat. I, I kind of tend to think that this might be an idol for you. You know? You know what? Bass boats ain't cheap. You know, you can do a lot of good stuff with that $30,000, $40,000, you know? But we don't even, we don't even get that. Okay? That's so ingrained. And we talk about hunting. Hunting. I mean, people are willing to wake up at 4 a.m. They, they plan the food plots. They, they spend hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands of dollars on, you know, guns and blinds and all this stuff. And you're willing to wake up at 4 a.m. to be there at the, at the uh, crack of dawn uh, to be able to hunt, but you're, but you're late for church, you know? Uh, I mean, we, we enjoy going to... Uh, to uh, and hey, I went to the Mississippi State game last night. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not hating on attending, but you know, if you spend your whole day on Saturday planning around the tailgate, okay, and you get there early, you spend hundreds of dollars on food at the tailgate, okay, but you don't bring lunch for church. I mean, there's a little bit of a disconnect, okay. And you want to know one of the ways that uh, children being your idol is exhibited? I'll tell you, one of the worst problems that Christians in America have is travel ball. Because softball, baseball, soccer, now they say that you can't get a D1 scholarship unless you do the travel ball. So that's the only way, that's the only pipeline, supposedly. Well, guess what? If, if it happens to be that the Lord desires for your kid to have a D1 scholarship, you know what you can do? You can play for your high school and the Lord will open the right door. <laughs> you don't have to spend every single Sunday traveling somewhere else to be on the travel ball circuit. So supposedly, which by the way, we should not desire for our kids to be professional athletes anyway because just about all of them play on Sunday. You know? We shouldn't desire for our kids to be professional athletes. I think sports can teach very good lessons. Kids need to learn how to fail. That's why we, that's why we need to do away with all these participation trophies. Kids need to learn how to fail. That's one of the best parts about sports is learning how, to, learning how to be a good loser. And you know what? Kids need to be told you lost so you can learn to be a good loser. You know, you're not the 10th place winner. You're, you're finished last, and you need to learn how to deal with that because life, in life, you're going to fail, okay? But I know members of many Primitive Baptist churches that don't show up half the time because of travel ball, okay? We need to seek first the kingdom of God, Okay? Let's highlight a couple things. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18. When I was, uh, I distinctly remember this. It's, fu it's funny some of the sermons you remember. Um, Brother Mark Quarles was preaching up at Bethany, and I, I must have been a teenager <clears throat> when, I was, when I heard this. And Brother Mark was saying, 
that he heard about this show called South Park. It was a cartoon, and and I remember it back in the day. I watched a little bit of it, unfortunately. But they they openly mocked Jesus Christ. Very blasphemous. But I remember the Mark saying in the middle of a sermon that he he heard about that as uh, he, he didn't necessarily watch it, but he heard about it. And he felt so compelled because of that blasphemy on a cartoon show on South Park that's just one channel. I mean, he could choose to not watch it. He decided to get rid of their TV altogether. And as a 16-year-old, I was like, Brother Mark, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about radical, you know. Brother Mark, you can choose to just not watch that, you know. Don't start trying to take away my TV. Like, that's not fair, you know. Uh, and I remember distinctly as a 16-year-old, I was like, Brother Mark, I mean, okay, if you want to act like that as a preacher, you know, that's fine. But don't tell us, don't tell the rest of the people that you got to get rid of your TV, you know. But the point was that for him personally, he was so burdened and convicted of that that he said, you know what, I'd be better without that thing than with it. And you know what? Brother Mark has a great family. You know, you know what you can do instead of watching, uh, watching TV all the time? Read with your kids. Read the Bible. And you know what? They're a great family. And the Lord has blessed his ministry and his pastorate because he was willing to do something like that. Instead, I watch many things on Netflix and stuff that I shouldn't watch. And I try to tell myself that, oh, I can ignore that. I, I, you get desensitized to that. You know, I, I, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that had a lot more profanity than it should have had. But I'm not going to say that. I can ignore that. Every time that you do that, your conscience gets a little bit more seared, a little bit more seared, and you get used to it. You get used to it. And next thing you know, it doesn't even bother you. Okay? Now, he says here in Matthew chapter 18, and in verse 8, Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And this is not talking about heaven and hell, okay? This is talking about temporal judgment. But what he's saying here is that it's better for you to give up these things and live the fullness of the abundant life you know, I remember a movie, Fireproof, and he's struggling with pornography, and he goes outside with a baseball bat, and he beats that computer to smithereens because it's better for him to, to be without a computer than be tempted to view pornography on that computer. Now, look, I love my iPhone, okay? I'm not, I'm not necessarily going, requesting to go back to flip phones. There's a lot of convenience in them. But, you know, we would be better off with a lot of these things if they tempt us to sin and we can't control it, we'd be better off without them than with them, okay? And you tell somebody, <laughs> oh boy, if I thought that was radical 10 years ago, I can only imagine what people would think today. I got rid of my TV. You know what? I know some people that have done that, and they are some of the happiest families. I'll tell you, <laughs> I think they're some of the happiest people that I've, that I've been around because they spend time with one another. They talk to one another. They actually have dinner 
instead of five people in five different rooms watching five different television shows, okay? Now, I don't necessarily know where this line is at for each of you, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide you in that way. I want to highlight a few more things very, very quickly. Luke chapter 3, what is fruits meat for repentance for each of us individually? I like how specific John was right here. He said, listen, fruits meet for repentance. You need to make some changes. Okay, well, what are those changes? Luke chapter 3. He said, first of all, just in general, verse, uh, verse 11, he that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none, and he that hath meat, let him do likewise. So you're telling me somebody asked me for well, one coat and I got to give you two? Somebody asked me to go one mile and I, and I got to go two? Most people will look at that and be like, you don't have to do that. That's radical. Well, guess what? That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. This one's, you know, this may appear to not be too bad. Publicans came to be baptized. What do we need to do? Exact no more than is appointed to you. Okay, well, that seems fair. But the problem is if they did that, you know, you, you, uh, they owe $100, you charge them $400. The reason why you've got that big mortgage on this big house is because you're cheating people. Well, now all of a sudden you start cheating people. I got to give up my big house, you know? I, I got I to gotta live like everybody else. It's not just about, uh, hey, charge what you are uh, to charge. No, I'm going to have to give up some things because I'm not cheating people anymore. Okay, now the soldiers. The soldiers came to him. What shall we do? Do no violence to no man. Now understand, law enforcement needs to keep the order. Okay? That's a biblical principle. But I guarantee you these soldiers, we know people... I understand some things get blown out of proportion, but there are some instances where people are in positions where they just beat people because they're having a bad day. And they said, look, don't unnecessarily hurt people because of your position. <laughs> don't accuse anybody falsely, and this applies to all of us, not just soldiers. Be content with your wages. <laughs> you, want, you really want to make a <laughs> You really want to be radical in the workplace? <laughs> Say, I am thankful that God has blessed me with this job when everybody else is complaining because I should make double what I make, you know? Uh, you really want to be stand out, be a light in the workplace. You just say, I am thankful that the Lord has blessed me with this job and be content with your wages, and you will stand out in the crowd, <laughs> right? One more verse, Isaiah 57 and in verse 15. What we saw from, what we saw from Josiah was humility, humility. It's so easy for all of us to say, man, that has nothing to do with me. There's no way that I'm idolatrous. Well, I think if the Holy Spirit gives us an accurate reflection in the mirror, there are areas where you might be surprised what that reflection shows back at you, okay? But no change is going to happen if you're too prideful to admit that you need to change, okay? Isaiah chapter 57, and in verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit, and to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Where does revival come from? Revival comes from the Holy Spirit, okay? 
But what's the first step to invite the Holy Spirit to come and revive us? What's the very first step? It's humility. That word contrite, by the way, means to be broken. It means to be pressed down to powder is what that word means. And you're not really going to repent until the Holy Spirit convicts you to see what those shortcomings are. And the Holy Spirit will also give you the strength. You know, you may say, well, there's no way. Think about, talk about the publicans. Zacchaeus, I love the contrast in the previous chapter. The rich young ruler was unwilling to give up his riches. Zacchaeus sees Jesus and he, Jesus comes into his house and he said, everything that I've ripped people off, I'm going to restore unto them fourfold. That's radical repentance, right? But he felt so convicted of that that he felt that that was necessary. And you know what? You want to know what happened when Zacchaeus did that? The Son of God came and had supper with him. You see? That's what happens. That's what happens when we repent. God will come and fellowship with us. And God sends revival to humble and contrite hearts. Lord, please allow us to be broken. We need to be contrite. And we're not just talking about repentance. We need to be humble in our interactions with, with other people, right? We need to be humble in our interactions with other members of the church. In every area of life, we need to be humble. Lord, break us to conform us more to your will. Because the more resistant we are to that, that's, that's pride being exhibited. Think about the Israelites in the Old Testament. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ear. That didn't mean they were unregenerate. It just means they were stubborn. By the way, by the way, stubbornness, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 15, stubbornness and rebellion equals witchcraft and idolatry. <laughs> well, that makes us a little bit nervous, doesn't it? Covetousness, stubbornness and rebellion. You want to know what stubbornness and rebellion, why does that equal idolatry? You want to know the worst idol we all have? Ourself. Ourself. Stubbornness and rebellion equals me being the idol. <laughs> me being the idol. You know, those are, the, those are the sins that make us really nervous, right? I mean, I know I'm not committing adultery, but stubbornness and rebellion is equal to idolatry and witchcraft. Whew, you know, that makes us nervous. Usually it's the little things. Satan, man, Satan's so crafty. Satan's so crafty. He, he has made us think that we're not idolaters at all because he's just gently wove it in, you know, here a little, there a little. And we, we don't even realize how ingrained it is in to everything that we do. You know, Satan has realized over the years, I think, that boldness is usually not his best strategy because he's very visible then, right? Instead, here a little and there a little in a bad way. Here a little and there a little. But I pray the Lord will bless us to be humble, contrite, and that the Lord will just send revival among us. I know we all want that, right? I know we all want that. But what I tried to emphasize in that article is we want the effects of revival without the causes. Okay? We want the effects of revival 
But it doesn't happen without repentance. It doesn't. We want the effects. We want the outcomes. But we don't want to go through the causes. Okay? May God bless us to serve Him acceptably with humble and contrite hearts. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.